Recently, I was telling some of you uh, a story about a prank that was uh, played on me at a church retreat many years ago. Some uh, dear brothers uh, conspired together and decided uh, that they would become my amen corner that morning in uh, my sermon at the uh, church retreat. And so uh, there were a lot of amens, and sometimes when the gospel really came too close to home, there were a few uh-ohs. Now, the interesting thing is, much to their surprise, I was completely energized. (laughs) And I thought I'd gone to heaven. (laughs) And ever since then, I've thought thought a lot about, what, what is a sermon? Is it just a, a monologue? Is it just uh, an interesting lecture that we all listen to and then go home? Or is it something much, much more interactive where we're all listening together for the movement of the Holy Spirit so that we can hear God's Word applied to our church in this day? I think it's the second one. And so I just want you to know, if you feel led to say an amen, or an uh-oh, or, or a no way, or a praise the Lord, uh, you should feel free to do that. Because this isn't a lecture. What we're trying to do here is to help the kingdom come alive in our church. And for that to happen, all of us need to be listening and participating in a very active way. Let's pray together. Dear God, it's been a hard week in our world. A world filled with violence and brutality. And we confess that we've often lost sight of your kingdom. And so now, this morning, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to move afresh among us. To see and to be able to participate in what you are doing, still doing, in our world. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we've all been coming and going a fair bit this summer. And so I thought it would be helpful this morning to begin with a little recap, a kingdom recap of what Jesus has been teaching us here these past weeks. Jesus has been taking us in boats, up mountains, and into deserted places to patiently train us how to see so that we can participate in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom of love. And every Sunday, he's been trying to awaken our imagination through his 
intriguing parables about people sowing seeds and mixing in yeast and discovering pearls and catching a whole bunch of fish. Our beloved teacher has been showing us that the kingdom is a realm without borders that is present wherever people are living as God intends. And what this means is that these people are flourishing in deep relationships, protecting the vulnerable, caring for creation, overcoming evil with good, and most importantly, living in a loving and interactive communion with God. And even today, Jesus is calling us to repent, to turn and to defect from our worldwide empire of greed and violence and consumerism and to immigrate into God's beloved community. A community of justice and shalom and joy in the Holy Spirit. And dear friends, as John 3.16 makes so beautifully clear, the coming of God's kingdom into our world through Jesus is a love story. It's a love story for God so loved our world. And so this summer, if you feel yourself just falling in love with God in some new way in return, then please go right ahead. I invite you to open your Bible or your cell phone or your device or to Matthew chapter 14 where we find our Lord once again focused like a laser on the kingdom. But now Jesus shifts his teaching method from parables to giving his disciples an experience that will help to deepen their understanding of this kingdom reality. A meal that feeds many thousands. But before we look at Jesus' kingdom banquet, I want us to be sure to notice the other meal that comes right before this feeding of the thousands. And you find it in the opening verses of chapter 14. Because this other meal, the birthday feast of King Herod, could not be any more different. Here, at Herod's party, the guest list is exclusive. A mix, no doubt, of Roman collaborators, the super-rich celebrities, and security contractors. Reporters with their satellite trucks are all loitering outside. And the atmosphere at this meal is scary fueled by alcohol and ruthless power. You see, with Herod, you never know what's going to happen. 
And if you know your history, you know that's true. And the outcome of this meal is murderous. Herod is so taken up with the world of his daughters dancing that he rashly swears to give her anything she requests. Who would promise that? Well, he does. And then prompted by her mother, she asks for and she receives John the Baptist's head on a platter. And pretty soon, grainy and gruesome videos have gone viral on the web. Symbolically, Herod's bloody feast reminds us of the sin-sick world we live in. That we've experienced this week a world alienated from God, feeding on a daily diet of greed and brutality. But the kingdom meal that Jesus serves today could not be any more different. At His banquet of fish sandwiches, all are welcome. All are honored. Thousands receive what they need and then some. And along the way, the disciples' ability to see and to participate in the kingdom grows and deepens. And that's what Jesus wants to happen in our midst this morning as well. Now I want us to notice one more thing in verse 13 that Jesus does a very crucial thing right before this meal begins. After he hears this devastating news about John, who is his dear relative and his baptizer, Jesus withdraws by a boat to a deserted place. What for? Well, if you look at verse 23... Verse 23, we catch a clue to pray. Again and again, Jesus takes the time to connect with God and to receive these infusions of grace, these infusions of strength and vision that He needs to be faithful. And so the question that I want to ask all of us this morning is that if Jesus... If this for him is such a non-negotiable part of his ministry, how can it be otherwise for us as well? Kingdom Wi-Fi is available everywhere, but we have to connect with it. It won't be done for us. And each of us needs a daily practice that helps us to plug in with God. So dear friends, what is your practice? This past year has been such a delight to discover all the different ways that here at East Chestnut we are connecting with God. 
Each of us in our own way, through prayer, breathing prayer, centering prayer, embodied prayer, intercessory prayer, also through Bible study, I was deeply moved. Visited Pat Eichelberger on, on Friday, and she shared about her daily practice of reading Scripture. Others of us do this through journaling. Some of us do it at the piano, singing hymns. Some of us do it through a daily practice of gratitude. And friends, if you don't have a practice, and I won't have a show of hands here this morning, but if you don't, let me suggest a very simple one that will take you all of five minutes a day and just might change your life. Read one new paragraph from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount every morning. Pause for a minute of silence to ask God to speak to you through that passage. And then close with the Lord's Prayer. Here at East Chestnut, I sense a deep yearning for our outward journey of serving the poor, of confronting the powers, of waging peace to be sustained by a deep inward journey into the heart of God. Imagine all of us having a daily practice that allows and enables God's grace to flow into us, to cleanse and refine us, and then to flow outward toward others. Imagine in the coming years a church, East Chestnut, having such a pervasive culture of spiritual growth and transformation that our outer lives just overflow with new signs of the kingdom. May it be so. So let's look at verse 14. We made it one verse into our story here because I believe this is exactly what is happening with Jesus. It is Jesus' deep connection with God that allows Him now to respond How? Did you notice that? With such compassion. Now, I read this story around a hundred times trying to figure out where was this deserted place? Was it in the middle of the lake? It's not clear, but Jesus comes back in the boat and the crowd is there. And the crowd is huge because he heals and he heals and he heals. And it starts getting dark. It starts getting dark. And it's right about now that some of the disciples hold up their cell phones and point to the time and whisper to Jesus to send these folks on their way. Make a food run. But Jesus won't hear of it. Will he? 
He says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. You feed them. Do you see what's happening here? This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus invariably invites us to to take little steps of obedience. You feed them. That propel us then into deeper understanding and participation in the kingdom of God. He invites us to take little steps of obedience that open up our world and our imagination. Astonished, the the disciples tell Jesus, hey, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And if you look at your bulletin cover, you can see that in John's version of this, it's a little child who provides the food. And taking these gifts, Jesus' kingdom tutorial now begins. Notice the foreshadowing here of the Lord's Supper as Jesus takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks it, and then through the disciples shares the bread with the crowd. And after everyone has their fill, there are still leftovers enough to fill 12 baskets. Let me share again with you a story that I've shared before, but that brings together all of these strands of this story. A few years ago, my family was worshiping at a religious community, a convent in Wisconsin. And at their their practice of communion, they had a a table, a communion table, and then a big open place where 150 people could gather around the table as this food or this meal was shared. But after we all gathered there was when disaster struck. That morning, they had many, many, many more guests and visitors. We were among them than they ever expected. And as the bread was distributed, they ran out. And quite a few of us were standing there empty-handed. And that's when a miracle happened very spontaneously, not told by the leaders of the group, everybody began turning and taking their bread and breaking a piece and sharing it with their neighbors. And for me, that was an unforgettable experience of the kingdom of God. Teaching me and teaching all of us in that room that whenever bread is broken and shared there will be enough. Whenever bread is broken and shared, there will always be enough. And ever since then, I've looked at Jesus' feeding, His miracle feeding of the thousands 
in a new light. And I have wondered, does the miracle happen because Jesus multiplies the food Himself? Or does it happen because Jesus actually gets His disciples to risk sharing their food? And then unleashes such a wave of contagious generosity that everybody else starts reaching in their pockets and their picnic baskets to share with everyone around them. Now, I'm not playing Jesus' seminar, explain away Jesus' miracles. Hear me clearly. That's not my intention here. My intention is to ask us, which is the bigger miracle? A divine handout or getting all of us in on the kingdom action and breaking our hearts wide open along the way? What's the bigger miracle? In Jesus' kingdom meal today, commentators tell us that they see a beautiful recapitulation of the feeding story in Elisha's day. And also of God's feeding of the Israelites in the Sinai desert with manna. But don't we see ourselves here at East Chestnut in this story as well? Don't we also sometimes feel like our church is located in an urban desert of poverty and addiction and generational dysfunction that seems so greater than we're able to address. Ever felt that way? I felt that way quite a bit this past year. But then Jesus says to us, Dear chestnutters, I heard him say that. <laughs> you feed them. <laughs> I asked for it. <laughs> Dear chestnutters, you feed them. I want the kingdom to come precisely through folks like you. Through your five loaves and your two fish. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because as you share them, I will make sure that there will always be enough. And also grow you and transform you along the way. Amen.